Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, What should I do, for I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Jesus tells a parable about a rich man who reaps such an abundant harvest that there isn't enough room in his barns to store it all. So he has a conversation with himself in which he uses the word I or my 11 times. What should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he says to himself, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. The man mentions no one else but himself, not another human being, not God. He speaks only to himself and about himself. He sees himself as what 19th century U.S. Congressman Henry Clay called a self-made man. He has constructed his self-identity without help from anyone else or from God. He is separate from others and separate from God. But is this really true? Is he in reality a separate self? Or is his true identity, his true self, found not in isolation, but in connection with creation, with other people, and with God. Archbishop Desmond Tutu once said, you can't be human all by yourself. 
Richard Rohr notes, when you've gotten too comfortable with your separate self and you call it life, with a capital L, you will get trapped at that level. You will hold on to it for dear life because that's the only life you think you have. Unless someone tells you about the bigger life, capital B, capital L, or you've had a conscious connection with the deepest ground of your being, God, there's no way you're going to let go of your separate self. But your attachment to that separate self must die. Our attachment to our separate self, independent of others, independent of God and creation, must die if we are ever to discover our true self, who we really are in the depths of our being, members one of another in the body of Christ, fellow children of God, and, as St. Francis of Assisi said, sisters and brothers with the sun, the moon, with all the animals, and all of creation. All of creation. Did you notice how Jesus began his parable? The land of a rich man produced abundantly. Now, we can assume that the rich man, or more likely his servants or his slaves, did the work of preparing the ground and planting seed, but this is not what Jesus wants us to focus on. Jesus wants us to focus on the sheer fecundity of the land. And so he begins his parable, the land of a rich man produced abundantly. In another parable, Jesus says, the earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. The earth itself is fecund, fertile, generative, and regenerative, with or without human assistance. Have you ever been hiking along a wooded trail and come upon a fallen tree that has died and is decomposing? Mushrooms and other fungi, as well as bacteria, feed on the rotting wood, helping the natural process of decomposition. And those fungi and bacteria provide food for higher life forms, insects and their larvae, snails, slugs, earthworms. Birds and other animals then come and eat the insects and worms. And in the shadow of the fallen tree trunk grows a new tree seedling, protected from the wind and exposure by the fallen trunk. All of this happens on its own, without human assistance. We see this innate fecundity of the earth all around us. I have volunteer moon plants which have sprung up along my driveway without my having planted them. And we all know about the volunteer elm trees and dandelions that sprout up abundantly in our yards and gardens, all on their own without our help. 
the land of the rich man produced abundantly, Jesus begins stressing at the outset of his parable the fact that the rich man cannot take most of the credit for his bumper crop. Human beings are dependent for their very lives on the innate fecundity and fertility of the earth. And so the question the rich man in the parable should be asking is not, what should I do for I have no place to store my crops? Rather, given the undeniable and breathtaking scope of Earth's fecund abundance, the question he should be asking is, how might I participate in this abundance of creation? And we, too, should not be asking, how can we extract the most crops or oil or minerals from the ground or harvest the most trees from the forest, as though we humans can do whatever we want with the earth, which we treat as our own possession. It is not. No. We, too, should be asking, how can we participate in the abundant, intricately intertwined and interdependent life processes of God's green earth, which is not and never has been the possession of human beings. In fact, not only does the earth not belong to us, but St. Paul tells us that we don't even belong to ourselves. We don't belong to ourselves. Our life is not our own. But the man in Jesus' parable does not grasp that fact. He thinks that his inner soul is his own and that he sustains it by the accumulation of material goods. He says to his soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But as John Shea notes, our soul is not our own. In classical thought, Dr. Shea writes, the soul receives its life from God and gives this life into the mind, the body, and the world. The soul lives not by possession, but by flow. The soul lives not by possession, but by flow. The false promise that what we accumulate or possess will save us, that false promise will eventually be exposed by reality, sometimes sooner, sometimes later, often by our being confronted with our own inevitable death. That is what happens in our parable when God says to the rich man, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? In the Christian faith, as in all great spiritual traditions, 
facing our own mortality brings our lives into proper perspective. We do not preserve our life by striving to attain and keep the possessions, power, or prestige of this world. We live not by possession, but by flow. Now there is a danger for us, I believe, in the fact that the rich man in this parable is such a caricature of a greedy man. Jesus paints the man with vivid colors in order to make a point. But the exaggerated depiction of the man should not deceive us into thinking that we have nothing in common with him. The colors of our greed may be much more subtle, but that doesn't make our own self-focused tendencies any less real or detrimental. John Shea writes, the rich man's inner life is no stranger to any of us. The dream of riches that will secure life and make us happier than we are now is built into the bones of ordinary people. We are deaf to the warnings of every spiritual tradition that this way of securing life is futile. But the warning remains. Beware this false promise that is so wildly attractive. Unquote. I want to ask you to use your imaginations for a minute. I'd like you to close your eyes and visualize two different images. Close your eyes and first envision the image described in the parable, which corresponds to the rich man's question, where can I store all my stuff? With your eyes closed, visualize, if you will, a man tearing down his normal-sized barns, building enormous new barns in their place, and then filling them full with the abundance of the earth, which he claims as his own possession. Next, with your eyes still closed, I'd like you to envision an image that comes from John Shea, who, besides being a scholar of the Bible, is also a notable storyteller and poet. It is an imaginative and whimsical image that may seem strange at first. I would ask you to go with it and let it steep in your soul this week. This second image addresses the question I mentioned earlier. How might we humans participate in the abundance of God's gratuitous creation? You can store up treasures for yourself, Dr. Shea writes, thinking they will give you life. But this way of thinking and acting goes against the grain of the life you truly want in the depths of your soul. So, storing up treasures for yourself is a self-defeating strategy. However, 
there is another way. It has something to do with, and here's the image I'd like you to visualize. Lying on the abundant land and letting the grain grow right through your body without ever thinking of a barn. Lying on the abundant land and letting the grain grow right through your body without ever thinking of a barn. Hold that image with you and live into it this week. And see if it doesn't help you learn to participate in the abundant divine life flowing through all of creation.